the night before I had actually seen him and almost had a shot, but I didn't take it because he was kind of behind a bush and then I lost my opportunity. So that night when I saw him again, he was behind a bush, but I was like, I'm just going to take the shot anyway. So I shot and the arrow shot through the bush and stuck him like deflected and Mm -hmm. stuck him in the leg Mm -hmm. and pinned him to the ground. But I, I didn't really have any time to think but all I had was my axe there I ran and grabbed my axe and ran over there and he was like growling and flipping around on the arrow and like snarling at me hey everyone this is Ninorta you might have remembered an article that was shared all over Facebook a couple of weeks ago about a young man who won the show alone in the Arctic on the History Channel, and he made reference to the resilience of his Assyrian ancestors and what they endured during genocide. Well, I had the pleasure of speaking with the winner himself, Jordan Jonas. I read the article and learned that he was living in Lynchburg, Virginia. I knew I had to arrange a meeting because I was working and living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and Lynchburg is about a four-hour drive to D.C. So I rented a car, put on some Assyrian podcasts, and met Jordan at his beautiful home. I was welcomed by his family and the chickens from their backyard that were trying to get into the house to join us for the interview. Jordan actually grew up on a farm in Idaho where his mother's family had been living for years and his father's family ended up after leaving Chicago. Jordan spent most of his 20s living a nomadic life with the Evenki in Siberia where he was herding reindeer. That's where he learned his skills of hunting, trapping, fishing, and his family struggles allowed him to survive 77 days in the Arctic. In this episode, you'll hear how Jordan killed a moose, battled a wolverine, survived, and became the winner of the show, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I can't even survive one day without technology or people, let alone 77 days. We also get to hear about Jordan's family struggles of genocide and persecution and how that helped him put his own challenges into perspective. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that's been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or at 847-982-9516. This episode is also sponsored by John Oshana. Whether you're thinking about buying or selling real estate in Arizona or California, put John's proven track record to work. John's focus is residential, multi-units, and commercial properties. Check John out on Facebook at John Oshana Realtor or Instagram at John.Oshana. Contact him today at 209-968-9519. I won't keep you waiting, so here's Jordan Jonas. Thank you so much for being with us on the Assyrian Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thank you, thank you. So you're the winner of the Alone Show. You survived 77 days in the Arctic. Tell us about what the show is about. What are the rules? What did you do? Yeah, so it's a it's a kind of a cool show where they, yeah, called alone and they basically get ten people and drop them off alone by themselves in the wilderness to 
with the you know with the video camera so you self document the whole time and it's basically the last person to uh give up mm-hmm. you know wins out of those 10 people and yet you, you get uh 10 basic items to go with you so you get a you know simple things it's not like you get a gun or anything you get like an axe and a mm-hmm. knife and a fishing hooks you know 10 mm-hmm. items and uh uh yeah basically you just see who can last the longest see who can survive <laughs> yeah yeah what were the 10 items that you brought along uh i brought let me think if i can rattle them all off i brought an axe and a saw and a paracord and a, a multi-tool and a sleeping bag and a frying pan fishing hooks bow and arrow ferro rod for starting fires and oh something else there's something else in there oh trapping wire okay yeah yeah that was the 10th item got it so they drop you off and it's uh yeah with those 10 items and a couple video cameras and yeah. fly away in a helicopter and there you are you there you are alone yeah <laughs> so they they did come and check up on you yeah they occasionally how often would have, they come up it varied uh you know somewhere from like every 10 days a couple of weeks or whatever they'd come and give you new camera batteries and check your health status and all that because if you if you do get too even if you don't tap if you get too skinny or your health starts to fall they'll pull you out yeah there Mm -hmm. was uh, i think one or two contestants that they they didn't let them continue on because their health was deteriorating right 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 at a certain point so they're like you have to you have to leave the show yeah (laughs) why did you decide to do this show a buddy told me about the show and I watched it and I thought, oh, that's a cool show. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I found it interesting. So I watched the first couple seasons and then I'd lived in Siberia with the native nomads, like herding reindeer up in the north. So I just figured, you know what, I could do that. And so I sent him a link to my videos on YouTube of living with the natives. And then I actually didn't hear back from the show for a couple of years. I forgot about it. And they were, I was up working in Washington, D.C. and they called me. Mm-hmm. out of the blue and like hey we want you on season six and so like, oh man wow. crazy i guess <laughs> and i just said okay sure as long as the doors keep opening and they did and so nice couldn't say no <laughs> so what challenges did you face when you were in the arctic alone um in the arctic alone i mean the biggest first challenge is i mean for me i'm like a tall thin guy so i was just stressed about getting food and trying not to starve out of there mm-hmm. of course I wasn't actually too worried about the cold because I've been in the cold and I knew I wasn't gonna tap because I was cold I just figured I just got to get food and I have to get more food than everybody else because I'm gonna I have a high metabolism so that was initially my biggest challenge and, mm-hmm. and throughout the whole show that kind of was even though even after I got a moose and after I had like kind of taken care of the food thing, it still was one of the main stressors. Like someday in the future, I'm yeah. going to starve out of here. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it never lets up. I think food is always on everybody's yeah. mind. <laughs> totally. Even when we are not alone in the Arctic. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. So tell us about the moose story. Well, that was crazy. It was about day 20 and I'd been getting a lot of rabbits and uh, living off of just rabbits uh, i'd gotten okay. something like 27 rabbits by day 20 mm-hmm. so i had a lot of rabbit but i was quickly finding out that they're so lean that 
it doesn't really even stave off weight loss just eating just protein like mm-hmm. that. So I would eat the brain and the organs and then the meat I didn't even really want to eat because it was just all that protein you can't yeah. digest. And then, well, earlier on I'd, I'd heard a moose outside and I, and I uh, didn't want to wake up and like scare it off because I knew it would come back maybe. And so I, it was at night and so I went out and set up a bunch, I went the next day and tracked it and set up a bunch of like tin cans so that if it walked by a trail, mm-hmm. it would hit the tin cans, make noise, and I could know it was there. Uh, sure enough, one morning I heard one coming by, like huffing and puffing and going along, and, <laughs> and then I heard the cans go chwink, and I was like, oh man, I jumped out of bed and ran over there. And it had ran, toward, got scared by the cans and ran actually towards me because it didn't know I was there. But it was in a big open flat like a mud flat so you there was I couldn't get any closer than I was Mm -hmm. because that's out in the open so I took a shot and I missed and the moose ran off and Mm. but it was a huge moose and I was like man that was just awesome to see but I'm gonna go you know like track it and see where it goes then I noticed it kind of walked between these two cliffs and I thought if I like, it's, you know, hard, really hard to get close to a moose out in the woods. But if, I thought if I built a fence between those two cliffs and funneled all the moose that ever happened to walk by into that one spot, I would be more likely to get them. And so I did that, put up more cans, and then one day I was out checking rabbit snares and I heard the cans. And I was like, no way. I ran down to the bush at the end of my little funnel fence that I mm-hmm. built. And sure enough, he came walking up and... I shot him, and then that began about the most intense day of my life. <laughs> just like you shot him with the with an with arrow, a bow and arrow, with a bow yeah, and arrow. just an old fashioned one. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, you uh, like when you shoot something like that, you can't run after it right away. You have to let it run off and calm down and lay down, hopefully bleed out. But I uh, had to wait a while. That I was like the longest hour of my life, just like <laughs> waiting for time to pass. Like, oh man, and then. Uh, Am I going to have you for dinner yeah, or what's no, happening? Or am I, are you going to get away? You just don't know. And so then when I, I was like, okay, enough time, maybe an hour passed. And so then I started tracking it and there was, found a blood trail, was following it. And then the blood trail dried up and then I couldn't find any sign of him. So then, you know, you're excited and then you're mm-hmm. like, oh no, it's going to get away. I can't find it. And then just up and down, up and down. And then I finally just walking along the shore came across it I saw it up in front of me and I was like oh no way and then got mm-hmm. really excited and then uh like laid down because I was still probably I was still too far to even try to shoot it again or anything and I just laid down and it was like a bull moose and it's like if you I could either try to sneak up and finish it off but in that case it's either gonna jump up and run away and I'll never find it or it might attack me mm-hmm. and it would be really hard to like actually put a shot on it where I needed to and it was lying down so I just had to sit there and wait and it was super long few hours but it finally bled out and died and I went over there and I couldn't believe it Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was super excited uh but man what an up and down day that felt like I got once I got that it was like a huge burden off my back because you just feel like oh you're gonna starve you're gonna starve no matter how many rabbits I'd got but then that kind of relieved the burden at least for a little while yeah yeah, that was crazy. So with the cans, I know yeah. that wasn't one of the things that you brought, right, right. but the, the one of the show rules that you're allowed to, right. whatever you find, you Pick can up use. Ice, you find. So I was like, 
a lot of times in the past people have tried you know a lot of people have won using like a really passive strategy where you just Mm -hmm. sit there and kind of uh, have the slowest metabolism and the most extra weight (laughs) and last the longest yeah but I knew that wasn't going to work for me so I was really active and running way up and down the shore you know hunting rabbits and learning my land and in doing that you'll find old probably from the 70s or before just old fire circles from way Hmm. back with and if you find a fire circle you like look in the bushes and find an old rusty can you know some fishers probably stopped and ate food and you know yeah threw a can in the woods and so uh i found a bunch of those doing that nice so that kind of helped you with that definitely yeah yeah cool so how i mean you skinned the moose right then and there Mm -hmm. and then had to chug everything back to your camp yeah yeah skinning the moose was a a lot of work, but it was, of course, the kind of work I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, you about asked that for it. All. Yeah, <laughs> you wanted a moose. Uh, yeah, <laughs> took me. I think I got. I find the moose finally died around one o'clock, and I think I like gutted it and skinned it and hauled it all back to camp. It was like ten or eleven o'clock. So mm-hmm. It took all day, but it was pretty exciting anyway. <laughs> nice, nice. And then, like, there was a part in the show where you were like eating the the moose and then you're like yeah so that was a nerve-wracking time is after i got the moose i we had a weight check and it was like you know say 10 days after i got the moose and they checked my weight and i had lost a lot of weight from even when i got the moose so i got like oh no like why am i still losing weight this Mm -hmm. is crazy and then i got really nervous about that uh in the long run like come to find out the next weight check i put on a bunch of you know, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of pounds. So mm-hmm. I was actually able to figure that out. I just needed to eat more fat and and find the right balance and all that. Mm-hmm. And and I did and was able to solve that. But it definitely worried me for a week there. That like, oh no, am I going to starve with a huge yeah. moose like yeah. in the world? That's never been done <laughs> so, before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the Babylon teeth stick that you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was, obviously, chew sticks. Yeah, are an ancient method for. Uh, cleaning your teeth and yeah. stuff the babylonians use them we still do today <laughs> but i was uh actually what i was using that tooth for was because i was eating all that raw that uh meat and it was like getting stuck in my teeth and making my jaw really sore and so mm-hmm. i just put it there and like chew against the yeah. stick and it would really help yeah. <laughs> i thought that was funny they put on the show yeah yeah that was pretty funny you're yeah, like yeah. here call yeah, right. on this number below for your <laughs> yeah, for your right. ba- for your tooth stick <laughs> they're for sale if you're interested <laughs> <laughs> so after the moose you faced some more challenges because you had somebody else lurking yeah. around for for your food yeah i was kind of expecting maybe a bear would come or something would come and so i was prepared for those but i actually wasn't prepared for a wolverine and a and one night i uh, wolverines showed up and they're just much more like wily and able to climb things than a bear would be mm-hmm. and quieter so he like was able to climb up steal a bunch of the fat that I had stored up and ran off with it and I was just oh no you know I lost weeks of the fat there mm-hmm. so I was pretty upset about that but then he was also just much more uh, stubborn of an animal than I than you would think he would come right in the middle of the day and steal food and like who just always, you're just getting on a schedule where you just come and take stuff and leave. Wow. And I was like, oh man, it's definitely going to go down between us. And so I uh, <laughs> did the same thing. Jordan versus yeah, the Wolverine. <laughs> we couldn't coexist very well. 
uh, but he, uh, he, I knew he was going to come back, so I set up the same cans and stuff around, and then one night I was out scraping the moose hide, and I heard the cans clank, and I was like, oh. I ran and grabbed my bow, and went out, and sure enough, he came scurrying along, and I, and the night before, I'd actually seen him and almost had a shot, but I didn't take it, because he was kind of behind a bush, and then I lost my opportunity, so that <laughs> night, when I saw him again, he was behind a bush, but I was like, I'm just going to take the shot anyway. So I shot, and the arrow shot through the bush and stuck him, like, deflected and mm-hmm. stuck him in the leg mm-hmm. and pinned him to the ground. But I I didn't really have any time to think. But all I had was my axe there. I ran and grabbed my axe and ran over there, and he was, like, growling and flipping around on the arrow and, like, snarling at me. And, I, and you know, they're very ferocious animals. I actually heard that the one killed a polar bear in the zoo not long ago oh my so, god so, that, so when i ran up to it you know i was like oh this is intense hope the arrow holds but i didn't think a lot i just ran up swung with your axe with my axe and just kept swinging and, <laughs> and i was like pretty soon enough it was dead and i was like oh my goodness that was really intense of course it was all in the moment and i didn't uh think a lot about it a lot beforehand but afterwards i was like whoa yeah that's crazy. Usually you run the other direction. <laughs> yeah, you run the opposite way. You went to the Wolverine. clear out there that it was either me or him. <laughs> well, you, you were pretty persistent. You, you were making sure that you did not want your right. fat taken. Right, right. <laughs> or your moose taken. <laughs> exactly. So you, you killed the Wolverine. Then I killed the Wolverine and then... Uh, you ate the Wolverine. Ate him. <laughs> yeah. They taste a little bit like a skunk. They're not that good. Uh, okay. How did the moose taste like? Oh, it was so good. I never even missed salt or anything. Just oh, every wow. bite of it I ate, I was just like, mmm, delicious. It was great. And cool. Then, uh, yeah, and then I was thought I was pretty set for a while. And I built like a food storage platform and mm-hmm. put all my food up there. And then I started fishing and started getting fishing down caught a bunch of those and then but then another wolverine came back which i wasn't expecting and we were Mm -hmm. only allowed to kill one so then i just had to build defenses and hunker down and try to like ward it off every time it showed up yeah yeah so in the show it was pretty cool because like you you originally built like a little hanging thing where you hung your meat and that was being stolen by the wolverine and then when when you found out about the Wolverine, you built this higher thing. How high was that? Uh, 11 or 12 feet high. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you built yourself a ladder. Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of carved out the tree trunk. Yeah, right? so I so just the, peeled all the bark off yeah. so that it makes it a little harder to climb for animals. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of things on the show that were that made the viewers go like, huh, <laughs> good, this is interesting. Good. Yeah. So, like like regular us we don't know these things <laughs> yeah, how did right, right. how did you know about these things well, it's a combination of both when you're out there and like in the zone kind of your creative juices really start flowing mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of just ingenuity on the spot uh combined with the time i spent in siberia where there was just mm-hmm. living with natives and stuff there it was the first time i went to live with the natives uh, they taught me how to build one of those raised platforms, mm-hmm. and I built one of those, and and they liked what I did. So then every time I would visit, they'd be like, "Hey, build another, yeah, <laughs> build another platform." So I'd built a few of them, and then uh, and a lot of the little tricks like that. Even the even the funnel fence was something mm-hmm. that the Avenki I hadn't seen him build, but I heard him talk about like people back in the day used to build 
those before yeah. they had guns or whatever. And so, so some of it was just, yeah, a mix of both just ingenuity. I think I feel like when you're out there and you're really relying on yourself and you don't have the distractions of the modern world and stuff, mm-hmm. like it really does, your creative juices yeah. start flowing yeah. and, and they're really applied towards your survival, which is probably where, I mean, creativity kind of came from. Like yeah. were, everybody was applying their brains to try to solve the puzzle of how to stay alive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think nowadays we're very reliant on our right. phones or Google. Right, or right, right. You like, kind of, your brain kind of can go to sleep a little bit. Yeah, right, right. exactly. So that kind of revived your brain it's a little bit. It's something that really, I really like about, and a lot of people might not get to experience it, but, but just about living a very, like, almost hunter-gatherer lifestyle. It's mm-hmm. where you're like, you really feel like you're made for it when you're out there all the you know i would always joke like if i caught a fish out there i would be more excited about that than if i bought a lamborghini you know mm-hmm. in the modern world it's just like yeah. you're just so wired for it it's just, yeah and, and, you, and you, were, days, you were you, know, you were you were like psyched when you caught yeah. a fish <laughs> totally like, yeah. you were like oh my god yes <laughs> i know i never get that excited in real life but out there it's just like you're clapping yeah you're so happy <laughs> by yourself alone. by yourself alone. on camera yeah, totally. <laughs> you're recording yourself so it's pretty neat yeah you can really it's it's a cool way of life. So being alone in the Arctic, tell us what a typical day would look like because yeah, I, I can only imagine up. you can only do so much. Yeah, they vary obviously, but, but I would get into fairly decent routines. After the moose, before the moose, it was just a lot of walking and putting up rabbit snares. What's a rabbit snare it's for those that don't know? It's just a loop of metal or like a little loop of wire. Mm-hmm. that when a rabbit runs by you like try to identify their trails and when they run by it, they'll get caught in it and mm-hmm. you can catch them and but you need to set out a lot of those to keep you fed so i was trying to put out hundred something of those and then yeah. after i got the moose my routine got pretty solidified where i would in the morning i would wake up dry out my socks and clothes you know because you kind of would mm-hmm. just the condensation from the night would make your socks wet so i'd dry those put hot rocks in them and mm-hmm. steam them off and then uh the and i would go out and or eat some breakfast eat some moose and then go fishing fish all morning until afternoon and then i would come back and usually eat fish soup for lunch and then i would the second half of the day i would work on whatever project was around so like mm-hmm. making a fishing net or mm-hmm. making snow skis or whatever it was getting yeah. some firewood and then uh Evening would come and I would dry all my socks and stuff out, cook dinner, and go to sleep. Yeah, and it was kind of just kept that routine going. Nice. Collect berries up in the north. It's just a carpet of berries on the whole really? ground in the fall. So it's just a beautiful time of year and place. It's like tons of berries. It's like wow. paradise. But <laughs> then it ends and it gets cold. Then it gets cold. <laughs> yeah. How how cold was it? What was the temperature? You know, I don't actually, we didn't have a thermostat and they didn't tell us because, you know, they kept it pretty impersonal at all the interactions. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I, it might have got down to negative 20 or something like that, I guess, mm-hmm. Celsius. So it got pretty cold, especially when you're just out there mm-hmm. in the elements. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And day in and day out. That's the problem is like, you know, like, if you were just there once and you could come home and dry all your stuff completely and, you know, then yeah. it'd be all right. But out there, it's pretty hard to, yeah. you know. But actually wasn't that. I didn't suffer too much from the cold. I was 
planning on it going way into winter when it was going to be like negative 40, yeah. maybe 50. So what time of year was this? It was roughly from September through November. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. What would you think about? Like, you're out uh, there yeah. alone. That was a like, lot. I thought about a lot. I mean, it's, man, it is cool to spend, I mean, and this could, anybody could do, go out in the woods or somewhere and just spend like a long enough time, like a week or so without any phones or anything. And it's amazing how deep you delve into your thoughts. Like mm-hmm. not only over a week, but even if you extend that longer, like that would be, you'd think about people that you've long forgot about. Everyone I've ever met, I felt like I thought about. And, yeah. I, and then you think about uh, your, you know, your beliefs and your, what your priorities are in life. And you have a lot of time for deep thought in between the time where you're just like applying like Mm -hmm. skills to try to stay alive, you know, but, uh, so between the creativity and the depth of thought you sometimes reach, it's, that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. I think uh, people should try it. You don't have to like try to hunt, just take a bunch of food and go live up in the woods. Go alone for a little bit and just clear your mind. Yeah, it really is. And you'll, you'll think of things like, oh, I should call that person. I didn't like, Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't treat them right, and you might have forgot about it. But now you're when you're out there alone, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't really do that right. I should call that person, mm-hmm. and, you know, or you know things like that. That's pretty cool. I think it's a definitely a worthwhile experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. some of the contestants kind of broke down mm-hmm. um, just because of you know being alone and right, being right. away from the family, and that's when they tapped out and said, "I'm out of here. I can't right. do this anymore." Did you right. ever get to that point? No, not not at all, actually. I thought there were a few things at play. One is I completely expected the show to go much longer. Mm-hmm. Like, so I hadn't, I, I, I wasn't even, to myself, I thought at day 90, we get started, basically. So I was doing everything I was to try to get to day 90 to try to then push as long as I could. Wow. And so I thought, I thought if I could make it 120 days, I might win or something, you know, so I, I was completely off, caught mm-hmm. off guard when I, when I won and but also for that reason, I hadn't yet. I think it was a combination. Also that, and I spent a lot of time in Siberia, so I'd like leave my family. Mm-hmm. But that's for like a year, and so just yeah. more of a perspective. And then I would come back after a year and realize that hey, all my family's still here. They still love me. We're yeah. all, you know, yeah. We're all but in you this had together, co- you so. had like a wake of communicating with them when you were in Siberia, right? Yeah, at times, but actually not super effectively because I was in the, with the natives yeah. in the woods. So there'd yeah. definitely be a several months stretches where I couldn't mm-hmm. even send an email or anything yeah but uh that was before I had little kids and mm-hmm. stuff so uh so that was the extra king I also now think that if I would have been able to live completely in the present that I would have never had any real struggles at all because all my real stressors were for the future like oh I'm gonna run out of food someday oh I'm gonna miss six months of my kid's life mm-hmm. oh I'm gonna you know miss Christmas those were the yeah. things that I thought about yeah but they actually didn't come through and then the other thing was yeah related to like the Assyrian side mm-hmm. of things it's just like I know my family history well and it's just like how could you complain about a little yeah you know short stint away from your family when you're actually mm-hmm. with you know and I'm just sort of hungry but yeah what our ancestors went through is way more and they I thought about that a lot and they turned out into such beautiful wonderful nice people you know yeah. and went through so much suffering it's when you put it in that perspective just being on a show mm-hmm. up in the arctic isn't 
yeah isn't too bad <laughs> yeah you you did uh, mention that and this is a good transition uh-huh. into oh, into yeah. that so yeah. um so tell us about your family history because like you said you your family has gone through a lot and and most yeah, Assyrian they, families they, have they were Assyrians in my grandma and grandpa both were from northern Iran so grandma was born in Ermia and grandpa was born in Khasrova mm-hmm. a little village and then uh and then, of course, during the genocide, my grandpa, uh, his dad was in a wheelchair and they were like in a village mm-hmm. and, and the Turks were coming in and burning the whole place down. And uh, and my great grandfather like stuffed, stuffed all the money and stuff he could into a money belt and told grandpa to just run. Grandpa was 17 at the time, told him just to run and don't turn around. And mm-hmm. uh, grandpa ran. And of course, turned around to you know see the building burning with his dad wow. in there and everything, and and his sister. Nobody knows what happened to her, and so Grandpa just ran away, and he was at that point on his own. You know, wow. completely went to a refugee camp. It was uh, taken in by Jesuits, and then uh, Grandma was her dad was taken off to be shot, it, and her her and her. Uh, seven siblings and mom were like driven off into the desert and all but one of her siblings died in the desert and then the uh, Shushan the the last of her sisters died not long after that and and her mom never recovered either and so she basically became a orphan in that situation too and you know had to watch all of her family members die of Mm -hmm. exposure and all that and so then she got to a british army camp and they took her in and uh and she was saved they eventually met with grandpa and got married in baghdad Mm -hmm. and stuff but and then my turns out her dad actually lived through the firing squad he was tied up with a bunch of other people you know and they were all to be shot and he was just you know of course praying like oh they saved me from this and then give me some food and clothes mm-hmm. and they all shot and they usually would come up and ban at everybody mm-hmm. or whatever but he uh but there was some kind of a raid siren and all the Turks like ran off and he was able to untie himself he hadn't been hit and mm-hmm. he got up and and actually found some clothes and a loaf of bread and was able to escape and wow and yeah so kind of crazy they actually didn't of course his daughter, my grandma, thought he was dead for mm-hmm. years and years and years, and they finally met at some point mm-hmm. later, I think in Chicago, if I know it. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, crazy. Wow. So that that kind of kept you going and thinking, like, don't give up. This is nothing Right, to yeah. Like... It definitely puts perspective on any mm-hmm. any suffering you feel like you might be going through. Yeah, of course. Of and course. just the, the depth of character they had. It helps you, like, even when you're up there you know, think about your priorities and thinking about, like, maintaining a level head and stuff because mm-hmm. it's, like, you know, grandma and grandpa both grew up into be, like, really joyful and good people who didn't hold, like, hate and animosity for their mm-hmm. people that had had uh, done them wrong. They just grew and raised their own good families and, mm-hmm. and everything. So, yeah, that was pretty, yeah, it keeps you, in, it keeps it all in perspective. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, you mentioned you were living in Siberia. Tell mm-hmm. us what you were doing there. I went over to help the missionary guy when I was like 21, build orphanages and stuff. And 
and then, so I spent a, a good amount of time with him, but I also wanted to live with Russians so I could learn the language. Mm-hmm. And he sent me to a village. Do you speak Russian? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I learned it over there. It was, uh, it was, it's a difficult language to learn, but mm-hmm. I really like it. But they uh, sent me to a neighboring village and I lived with a family. And that guy that I lived with and his family, well, the guy had been in prison with a native reindeer herder and they had found God in prison together. So they're mm-hmm. really close. And he was always like, oh, you got to meet my uh, native buddy in the north. And eventually one of those years, that guy invited me up north to live with him. And uh, he was an Evenki guy and was a fur trapper. But all his cousins were still like native nomadic people who like traveled, live in teepees mm-hmm. and, uh, he took me out to them and dropped me off and, and they took me in like a member of the family immediately. It was wow. really good. So I really, it was a way of life. I didn't even know people still lived, you know, mm-hmm. being that nomadic and living in teepees and stuff. And I really liked it and I kept going back. And, uh, now I like try to think about ways that would be cool to help them keep their traditions alive. Mm-hmm. Cause I could see how healthy it was for the people who still were connected to reindeer herding and nomadic way of life, they were what you would call happy people, especially when they live in the forest. Mm-hmm. But when they were in the village and gave up on that, it was just terrible, you know, like yeah. just alcoholism and oh, wow, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so you could see how their like traditions and stuff are important to keep and uh, having, you know, grown mm-hmm. an appreciation for them, uh, maybe... Yeah. Would like to be involved in helping them keep them going for future generations. Yeah. So is that where you learned hunting and... Yeah, that's where I got the most, like, uh, applicable skills mm-hmm. for the show. Like, I had grown up camping and and hiking and loving the outdoors and stuff, but but that was where I, like, lived with people who really practically yeah. applied yeah. skills to survive in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How did you feel when you found out that you won the show? Oh, man, I was shocked. Like I said, I didn't even let myself... I barely let myself think I was doing well, even though I had gotten a moose and a ton of fish and food and all this. Like, when I step back now, I I was doing really well. But when I was there, I was just telling myself, like, ah, you don't have enough. Like, you're not doing good enough. And then the last day I was there, I didn't know it was the last day, but I caught this huge fish... And I and it was in a net that I'd made, and I was mm-hmm. really excited. And I thought that was the first time I allowed myself to think, you know what, Jordan, you're doing pretty well. It's like, you know, seven to seven days in, you got a lot of food. You're like, mm-hmm. you're actually doing pretty well. And it kind of shifted my perspective, and I was actually like, this is great. I'm having a lot of fun, you know. And and I think I can be here as long as I need to be. Yeah. And I started like counting it out. If I can be here another two months, I'll probably win and so then the show the people were coming to do a med check and mm-hmm. i was like well, i gotta convince them that i'm fine you know like yeah because you thought you right, were losing weight because you right, weren't eating weren't enough, you weren't eating weight, enough so fat I yeah right, i didn't know what our my weight was and so i felt great but i was concerned they didn't think i did and mm-hmm. so i uh when they showed up i was trying to convince them <laughs> that i was fine and and then my wife snuck up behind me and because uh, they bring her also in the mm-hmm. helicopter and then uh I turned around and I just couldn't believe it. I was yeah. totally shocked. That was, it was so awesome. Though the whole time you're there, you're thinking about, oh, it'd be so cool if Janet Lee could come up here and I could show her the, yeah, you know, 
all this stuff. What, you, what you've created. Right, right. So it's a lot different much. than just telling her, you know, like to actually be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And I'd saved like a piece of the moose heart that I thought was really good. And, and I'd saved it for her. Of course, when she got there, it was all dried and shriveled. <laughs> I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> but when it was fresh, it was delicious. It was the thought that counts, <laughs> yeah. I think, with that one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I don't think she wanted it. But uh, no, it was such a blast. It was really fun. And what a. I mean, yeah, unimaginable. Couldn't believe it. All that time I went to, uh, you know, I always would save money here, work, save a little money, go to Russia and spend it all. And mm-hmm. I was thought, oh, I should be doing something for like a career or mm-hmm. something. You know, like you just think. Yeah. It felt like a big sacrifice at the time when I was in my 20s. And then I, to have that all kind of come around and full circle in that way is crazy. You answer your prayer. And yeah. Pretty awesome amazing how that works but uh yeah yeah Uh, so what what do you plan on doing with the money i don't know i I find myself just wanting to do the same thing i've always done just hang out and i don't i don't have any i don't i don't know yet uh obviously it'd be cool to i I mean what i do now already is renovate houses and -hmm. and so maybe i'll renovate and i'm working on renovating one right now Mm -hmm. so that uh, yeah there's space for our kid that's on the way we have two three kids now so doing that and then i don't know we have to see hopefully i can invest it wisely and yeah use it well we'll just nice. see how it goes but uh yeah well <laughs> hopefully it'll help buy a little more time with the family so i can yeah and i think time. you said that on the mm-hmm. show that right, that's right. your main priority so right. not having to you know work a nine to five and clock yeah, in yeah. clock out so family is important to you so right you so have if that. i can help use that to structure life in that way Mm -hmm. that's one of those priorities you think about when you're out there (laughs) awesome our final question that we ask Uh all of our guests on Uh the show we have listeners all over the world Mm -hmm. what's one thing that you want to share with them that you want to tell them hmm that's a good question Uh, you can take it on any level (laughs) i mean i actually feel like it's really you know, when it was because of the way our family history went down and everything, I was, you know, they immigrated then to France, but neither of, both of them were orphans, so mm-hmm. then they immigrated to the States, and I just didn't really have any connection to, like, my Assyrian, you know, I don't have any mm-hmm. surviving Assyrian relatives beyond my aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. so it was really, it's cool to be able to connect back with the, the, you know, worldwide group of Assyrians and stuff Mm -hmm. it's been fun like chatting with some people that are still in Iraq and Iran and Mm -hmm. all that and I really appreciate the opportunity to connect in that way and then uh yeah so hallelujah no thanks for (laughs) joining in and and listening yeah have you had a lot more Assyrians kind of you know like add you on Facebook and Instagram and things like that and be like hey you're Assyrian I'm Assyrian (laughs) I didn't have a lot initially because, like I said, I, I always wanted to meet Assyrians, but I like, grew up on a farm in Idaho and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, not long ago, my sister-in-law uh, rear-ended, a, <laughs> rear-ended a guy and he happened to be Assyrian. And oh, somehow wow. that came up in the conversation. And Here in he, Virginia? It was in, in New York. Oh, okay. He took her to church there and then... Wow. And then... I went up there and I was like, oh, you've met him Assyrian. And so I met him and then he took me to the church. And it was really fascinating because the people there knew my, like, my 
So my grandpa's brother's son, so mm-hmm. my grandpa's nephew, was the Archbishop of Ermia and Salamas okay. uh, for the Catholic Church in in Iran. And so they in the 60s, you know, he died mm-hmm. a long time ago, but they a lot of the people in that church knew him and had spent time with him, and I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, oh, wow, they, you know, they knew about my yeah. family back in Iran and that I had just heard about, and so... That was cool, and I appreciate you guys listening, and yeah. Well, thank you for having us, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) I had a blast watching the show. Good, good, yeah. uh, People can view it on, it's on the History Channel, it's on Amazon Prime, it's pretty much everywhere if anybody wants to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so watch it and enjoy. Pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) Good TV. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it on social media or by telling somebody about it. We appreciate all of your support for the Assyrian podcast. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.